And uh, what I thought would be helpful for us to do is just to have a, a bit of a recap on that section that we're going through now. We, we've got to chapters 12, 13, and 14. And, and chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about uh, spiritual gifts. And we've got a good way through chapter uh, 12. And we've slowed right down coming into this because what Paul said to the Corinthians is, is really important to us. And, and the first point that we brought out of this whole series was spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. And, and, and Paul says to them in, in the beginning in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul wanted the church at Corinth to be informed of spiritual gifts. There were some challenges, there were some problems, and he wanted them to be ironed out. He wanted them to be informed. And that this passage, of this part of God's word has been preserved for us because God wants us to be informed, and spiritual gifts matter. Now, one of the reasons they mattered so much back then was because some alleged spiritual gifts were being faked. They weren't real. They weren't the real thing. And we read about that in verse 2, and from the culture and the time. And, and so the Corinthians needed to be protected from this fake dangers that was there, false teachings. You see, the difference between fake spiritual gifts and true spiritual gifts is true spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord. We see that in verse uh, 3 of this passage of chapter 12. Spiritual gifts declare that Christ as Lord. Now, sometimes when fake spiritual gifts are manifest, we, we realize that they're fake because they are not declaring Christ. They're being used for a person's own gain. They're being used for some kind of satisfaction. They're not declaring Christ as Lord. We saw from these uh, passages that salvation and spiritual gifts are totally linked together. You cannot have spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit unless you are saved, unless you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Salvation is a word you'll hear often here with us. Uh, and maybe you, you, you just get used to this word. What does salvation mean? Well, salvation in its simplest form means this. We have all sinned. We've all done wrong against God. And the wrong that we've done deserves God's wrath and God's judgment. And there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. Even from this moment on, if we started living a perfect life, it wouldn't answer for the wrong that we've done in the past. God demands 100% perfection. And we haven't got that. And so that's our problem. We need saving from the wrath of God. We need saving from God's righteous judgment against our rebellion, our going our own way, our selfishness, if you like. And then the gift of salvation is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. He was born as a man. He was both man and God, something we can't get our heads around, but something that happened, something that is miraculous, and Jesus, as a man, lived a perfect life. Jesus never, ever sinned. And the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is knowing God's wrath being poured out upon the sin. And Jesus didn't deserve that, but Jesus took that on. 
He went to the cross. I'm sure you've heard of the cross. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just angry Jews and mad Romans killing an innocent man. It was the Son of God giving up his life for the sins of his people. And that's the gift. And salvation is when we come to know Jesus as Lord. When we say, Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you took my sins and my punishment that I deserve, and you have made me right with God. And at that moment of salvation is the moment that we receive the Holy Spirit. And we see that's linked in verse 3. We also see it added to and strengthened in Ephesians 1.13 and Acts 2.38. We often think of the gifts of, of the Spirit as being from the Holy Spirit. And, and this passage shows us in verses uh, 4 to 6 that spiritual gifts are from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the triune God, is the one who gives us these gifts. They're involved. Each member of the Trinity, each member of the Godhead, each member of God himself is involved in giving us uh, these gifts. And then sixthly, we saw that from verse 7, that spiritual gifts are not, are not primarily for your personal benefit. The, the, the reason spiritual gifts were given to the church was for the benefit of the church, not the individual. And that doesn't mean that we are blessed by them ourselves, but that's not the real purpose for them. The real purpose for them is for the benefit of the church. It's for the benefit of uh, God's people. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And we see other references throughout God's Word that links the gift, the spiritual gifts, to the benefit of the church. In this passage, in, in chapter 12, in that first, uh, in verses 8 to 10, there is a list of spiritual gifts, but it's not a complete list. And it's worth remembering that nowhere in God's Word is there a complete list. And I think that's partly because the list is, is there, but it's not just a set list. There's different things that the Holy Spirit gives to his people, and so we can learn from God's Word what they are. And then from verse 11, we saw something that's really important and very foundational. And that is gifts, spiritual gifts, are not chosen. They're given. They're not taught. They are given. They're given by the Holy Spirit. And these principles are really important for us to get this understanding, not to be uninformed. We need this foundation for us to be able to work through the rest of this passage, the rest of God's Word, so that we can understand what is going on there. And so we agree on these principles. These principles are clearly seen in these first 11 verses. We also stated, and we haven't got involved with this yet, but we've also stated that while these uh, principles we agree on, that there are some that feel that all the gifts are for now, and there are others that do not feel that all the gifts are for now. And for the last few weeks, we've parked that. We haven't gone into that. We haven't discussed that. We haven't looked at that from God's Word. What we have been looking at 
is the realization that all these gifts were absolutely relevant to the Corinthians who the book was written to. And, and so as we've listed and gone through, and we went through several sermons on the different gifts of the Spirit, we were really looking and concentrating to find out what they were and what they meant for the Corinthians then. And there was utterances of wisdom and utterances of knowledge, uh, faith, gifts of healing, workings of miracles, and prophecy. And I just pause a moment uh, at uh, prophecy, because this was one that really sort of struck a chord with us. Because as we looked at prophecy, we realized that the prophet will speak on behalf of God. That's what the prophet is doing. That's what prophet is about. Prophets will declare Christ as Lord. Prophets will have moral integrity. And prophets will get their predictions right. If a prophet doesn't get their prediction right, God has not spoken. If a prophet has not got moral integrity, walking as Christ walked, walking in, in, a, in a life that is righteous and endeavoring to be righteous, then that prophet is, is probably a false prophet if there is immorality in their lives. A prophet will declare, Christ is Lord. He won't be saying, look at me, look at me. He'll be pointing to Christ. And unequivocally, he'll be speaking on behalf of God and, and not himself. And so whether you believe that prophecy is prophecy is, is a gift that continues, or whether you believe that prophecy is a gift that has uh, ceased, this remains the same. This remains absolutely the same. And this is so important for us to hang on, because there are people who purport to be prophets now, and their predictions are not right. And therefore they cannot be speaking in the name of the Lord. And some of these so-called prophets that live right now and declare themselves as prophets do not have moral integrity. Openly there is sexual scandal that's been tried to be covered up. Openly there is financial scandal that's been tried to be covered up. Now, while we are not God and we shouldn't judge in that sense, we have to make a judgment call on whether we will listen to these people. And if someone's not getting their predictions right, if someone has not got moral integrity, then we need to be very, very, very afraid and stay clear of it. And if someone is more declaring themselves and more building their own social media platform than pointing to Christ and Christ crucified, there's a problem. And so we thought about that. And there's an ability to discern between spirits as, as a gift. And then another gift that came up for us that, that again, is one of those gifts that some people think is finished and some people think continues and whether it does or it doesn't isn't the issue at the moment. But what we need to remember is there are some things about tongues that we can learn from the Corinthians. So that if people are doing tongues now, and they believe it's right, they need to do it in connection to God's word. And so tongues, like all the gifts, are not for every believer. And so often, tragically, we, we, we hear of situations where people are, are, are felt to feel like second-class Christians because they don't speak in tongues. And that's not the case. 
Because tongues is not a sign of salvation. Nowhere in God's word is that taught. Tongues is not a sign of spiritual maturity. That is not taught. Tongues are a gift, so they are not learned. If someone is trying to teach you to speak in tongues, they don't realize what a gift is. A gift is something that is given. A gift is something that someone gives. The Holy Spirit gives the gift. Someone doesn't teach you the gift. And that applies to prophecy. That applies to healing. That applies to any of these gifts. They are gifts. They are not learnt. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that tongues is to confuse the devil when we're praying. It's, it's not there in the scriptures. Someone possibly thought that's a nice idea. It might confuse them. I don't know. But it doesn't tell us in the scriptures. And we have to hang on to the scriptures. Because the scriptures is God's word. Tongues are not the same as praying in the Spirit, which we read about in Ephesians. Because everyone's called to pray in the Spirit in Ephesians, and not everyone will have the gift of tongues. And tongues, as Paul kept saying to the Corinthians, is not the most important gift. They kept thinking it was, and he's saying, no, it's not. Now that said, we also have to realize that tongues, as it's taught in Corinthians 14, and we'll get onto that in more detail, when they used in public, be that in prayer or be that in speech, they must be controlled and they must be translated. And that's why there was a gift of interpretation of tongues. Because if you're going to use tongues, as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 14, the way that it should be done is two or three, no more. So it has to be controlled. Speaking in tongues and then a translator translators to be able to say what is being said and so if you believe tongues is still continuing that is how it should be done within the context of the church now some people it seems use tongues on their own in the privacy of their own homes and are blessed by it and we praise God uh, for that uh, and we are talking here about what Paul is teaching to the church in that situation. We're going to look into that in, in much more detail. And as we moved on from looking at the individual gifts in verse 11, we saw that these gifts are empowered and apportioned by the Holy Spirit. And this is so, so important because, again, it comes back to sometimes how we see these gifts misused. And maybe they were being misused by the Corinthians in those days because people were trying to empower them themselves. They were trying to apportion them themselves. And so to say, everyone speaking tongues now is trying to empower people to speak in tongues. And that's not the role of the preacher. That's the Holy Spirit's role. To, to get people to do miracles on demand is not... And a personal human task. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers and it's the Holy Spirit that apportions. And we should be blown away by that. Because every believer here who's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you have at least a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that's been given to you by the Holy Spirit. That's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's been apportioned by the Holy Spirit. And that should make us say, wow, this is incredible. This is something special. This is something amazing. This is something we should be using for the benefit of the church. And you can only use it for the benefit of the church when you are a member of the church. Because Paul goes on to say just for, in verse uh, 12, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And just the last time before we went away to the UK, we were looking at these verses and we saw that there is one body. That's the church. We are brought in. We have many different members, many different people. And just as we were trying to get the, the children to think of, the body doesn't work unless it is all together. We are many members, but one body. And we're one in Christ. And there is one spirit. But within this one body, which has one Christ, which has one spirit, there is diversity. There's diversity of gifts. There's diversity of ability. There's diversity of just who we are. And as we were going through this, we, we, we realized this wonderful fact that nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ because we are one body. We are together as a body. And, and that session, you may remember, I trust you do, but I finished that with a question. And it was a question, are you a part of this amazing body? Are you a part of the true church? Are you a believer who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? And it's from that that we carry on into the rest of this passage. Now Paul is heading to the second list of spiritual gifts. We have this first one in those verses 8 to 10. And then at the very end of this chapter, you may recall us reading that, uh, God has appointed the church, first apostles, this is verse 28, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, and then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various gifts of tongues. Uh, before we get to that list, Paul has this little break, as it were. It seems that he's gone off a little bit of a, of a tangent. And, and there's something that Paul feels needs to be set straight. In fact, it's not Paul. It's the Holy Spirit teaching Paul. It's the Holy Spirit that came to the Paul uh, in, in, in those gifts of revelation and, and showed him what he was wanting to say to the church at Corinth then. Uh, and part of their problem with spiritual gifts, part of the problem of the whole church of Corinth is a problem that we have in this day and age. And, and so often as I've been going through this book of 1 Corinthians, I've been struck at how relevant this 2,000-year-old letter is for us now. And, and, and one of the big things that this letter speaks out about, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that it's only now that I'm mentioning this word, because it's throughout this book, is individualism. Individualism. Paul is concerned about individualism within the church at Corinth. Now, now maybe you're not familiar with that word. So let me share the, the Cambridge Dictionary definition of individualism. It is the idea that freedom of thought and action for each person is the most important quality of a society rather than shared effort and responsibility. Uh, the dictionary goes on to say that this, that the principle that a single person is more important than the group and the people should work and own things 
for their own advantage. That's individualism. Now, individualism, I think, can be defined as another word in the dictionary. And that is selfishness. And, and, I, and we've just heard that, haven't we? This is a definition of individualism that the group of people should work and own things to their own advantage. And again, quoting the Cambridge Dictionary, the definition of selfishness is this, the quality of only thinking to your own advantage. We've seen this problem at Corinth in the first 11 chapters. We, we may not have seen it. We, we may have, 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 have just sort of passed it over. But it hit me like a ton of bricks as, as I was preparing for this. It went in a very different direction to what I initially thought because as I was looking at this, as, as I was seeing this, as I was, as, as I was praying over and saying, why have we got this strange section here about the body in the middle of these spiritual gifts? What has this got to do with spiritual gifts? And I'm realizing, well, actually, that, that there's this problem at Corinth. And if we quickly survey the first 11 chapters, and we will do, and you may want to just have your Bibles open and flip the pages as we go through, or better still, come back to it in leisure this afternoon or tomorrow or through the week. But as you go through this, you see there was individualism in lots of different areas manifesting itself in the church at Corinth. In chapter 1, their individualism was on who they were going to be following. Some were wanting to follow Paul, some Kephas, some Apollos, some Christ, and they're all individually choosing their own way. And the answer was this, God chooses. Us. God chooses us. And then in chapter 3, we, we see again the individualism of who they were following. And again, Paul was speaking into this and, and saying, look, you were for, for, uh, follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And, and they were individually deciding their own way. And Paul's answer is, God's Spirit dwells in you. This isn't your choice. Don't get fussed about this. God's Spirit dwells in you. In, in chapter 4, they were following their own ideas. They were following their own thoughts with regard to the, the gospel message. And, and things were getting a bit messed up. And, and the answer was, they were reminded of their ways in Christ. And so we see God's choosing, Spirit dwelling with them. They're reminded the ways of Christ. And in chapter 5, we come into sexual immorality. And the individualism was demonstrated that different people were choosing different ways of manifesting their sexuality and their sexual uh, actions. And Paul says, God is a judge. Brings it right back. God is the judge. Individualism, choose what you like, do what you like. No, God is the judge. And in chapter 6, they've got individualism because they're fighting each other in court. One is wanting to grasp something from the other. Maybe they had an argument about who owned what. Maybe they had an argument of this, that, or the other. And the arguments were going to court. And the answer is, you are brothers in Christ by the Spirit. You're one body. You're one body. You shouldn't be fighting like this. And then in chapter 7, again, it's in relationships. Married, single, not married, how to be living. And, and, and Paul's answer to that individualism was, live as you are called, as God chooses. And in chapter 8, they're having an issue with food. 
food offered to idols. Some would eat it, some wouldn't. Individualism. I do this, you do that. I want the best for myself. And the answer was, listen. We're thinking about the brother who Christ died for more than yourself. Again, freedom to choose your own way. Paul starts it off, am I not free? And he, he opens up the passage and, and he says there's freedom to choose their own way. There's freedom for individualism. But Paul gives up that freedom, that individualism, to share Christ with the lost. The great emphasis of the church is to share Christ with the lost. Chapter 10 is warnings about idolatry. There was individualism and idolatry of, of, of getting involved and not being involved and in, in doing, not doing, and all the different things that were going on at the time. And the answer was, be imitators of Christ. Chapter 11, there was, in the early section, people who were having head coverings, people that weren't. Uh, uh, there was individualism there. They were fighting, discussing, having their own advantage. And the answer was, don't be contentious. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. Paul brings them back to this body argument. And then later on that same chapter, there's individualism in the Lord's Supper. There was a mess going on in the church. An absolute mess around the Lord's Supper. The rich lording it over the poor, getting drunk and stuffing themselves in the best places and, and, and the, the, the poor people being left out. Absolutely, individualism, striving for their own advantage. And Paul's answer is, so then, brothers. He's driving them back to this fact that they are a body, they are a church. And now we come to this chapter 11, and it's all about spiritual gifts. And it's all been about spiritual gifts so far. But before Paul goes on, and he does go on to this subject, he wants to drive home to these people that a problem of individualism will cause great problems with spiritual gifts. There was, there was so much individualism at Corinth. And, and Paul was talking about these gifts, and as he's talking about these gifts, you can almost see his mind thinking, or the Holy Spirit inspiring, thinking, hang about, let's wait. Let, let's think about this. These people are, are just so individualistic if they get a load of spiritual gifts, how are they going to cope with this? What are they going to do? They're just going to be after it for their own advantage. I'll, I'll just thinking about it for their own ways. And that's the danger. You see, spiritual gifts are personally unique and given to an individual believer. And because of that, they so easily could be abused in an individualistic, selfish way. Now, none of us, I'm sure, are caught up in this. But we see people individualistically using gifts of the Spirit to be part of what I'm going to call a money-making spiritual franchise. Not a church. A money-making spiritual franchise. And the gifts of the Spirit are being peddled and sold for the advantage of the, the leadership of, a, of... I can't use the word church because it's not... Or maybe they've been using a selfish way to climb a spiritual social ladder. Maybe you've been in a situation where the gift of tongues has been seen as something that shows spiritual maturity. 
And what do you have to do? You have to fake it till you make it. You need to get the tongues going, because if you don't get the tongues going, you're not going to progress within the church. You need these things to fuel personal pride, to get what you want from God or from the church. To be somebody within the church. The, the spiritual gifts in an individualistic setting, in a selfish setting, can be abused. And Paul was concerned about this because, quite frankly, these Corinthians had form. They were guilty as charged. They had disunity all over the place. They couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right. And as a general observation of the church at large at the moment, it points to this pervasive individualism. The culture of the day teaches us individualism. And that individualism curtails the spiritual gifts and it destroys unity. And that's what Paul was concerned about. He's not going to go into the rest of the gifts of the Spirit until he's got this in their minds, that there's some clear things that we need to understand. And that's you have to understand, Corinthians, that you are one body. And Paul has already told the Corinthians that they are one body and one spirit. But for the next 12 verses, he expands to them and gives examples of what it means. And friends, as we go on looking at these gifts of the Spirit, we need to grasp this right. Do you remember how I said I was going to go through all the gifts of the Spirit throughout the whole of the Bible? Yeah? And then come back to Corinthians. And then I said, you know, I can't do that. I'm going through Corinthians expository. This is why. Because we need to hear this. We need to see the whole counsel of God as it's set out by the Holy Spirit those 2,000 years ago. And it is so relevant to us now. The Corinthian church was in a mess because it had got caught up in this individualistic attitude. And the church now is in a mess because it's got caught up in this individualistic attitude. And we here could be in a mess if we allow ourselves to be seduced by this selfish teaching. And maybe we haven't seen the gifts of the Spirit manifest as they ought to be within LPC because we are individualistic in our hearts, because we are selfish. Maybe we are quenching the Spirit because our attitude is wrong. And maybe as a church, and maybe as individuals, we need to repent of this and realize what the Corinthians needed to realize. We need one another. We need one another. We need to be a part of this body. It is one body with many parts. We need one another. And the, and the, the big messages we are one body with many parts verse 14 says it like this for the body does not consist of one member but many the church doesn't consist of one super mario who does everything it consists of a whole body of people who work together there are many in verse 20 at the end of this section he says there is many parts yet one body and Paul illustrates it with a foot and a hand. A hand is a great tool. But if I had this surgically attached to where my foot is, it would be out of place. It would cause me all manner of problems and it wouldn't work. And the same with an eye and the ear. And then Paul is screaming out to these people and saying, you need each other. You need to be in communion and in fellowship in their body because you are all vital for one another. 
We need each other because we are part of the same body. And we need to see each other's gifts and abilities and personalities and our uniquenesses. You see, individualism is wrong, but uniqueness isn't. God makes us unique. God makes us different. God gives us different gifts. We are unique within the body. But individualism says, I take my uniqueness and I use it for myself. And being in the body says, I take my uniqueness and I surrender on the cross and I give it to the glory of the church. To see the church flourish, to see Christ's bride become what God intends it to be. Friend, if you are a believer, you are a vital part of God's church. And we we like that positive, yes. No one else can be you within the church. You have a role, you have a position, you have a responsibility. And it's been arranged this way. But we also need to recognize that in everyone else around us. We, We need not think more highly of ourselves than we are. Yes, you may have a more prominent open gift that people see, but the other people who have less prominent gifts, they are no less or no more part of the church. We need to be in unity. We are one body and many parts. We need to celebrate the different parts of the body. We need to realize that we've been arranged this way. God arranged us this way. This isn't something that a man devised. A daddy geo didn't dream this up. God arranged us in this way. Verse 18, the first part of it. But it is God arranged the members of the body. The reason you came to Cyprus at this time was to be part of the body of Christ here in Cyprus. It wasn't a mistake. There was a plan. There was a purpose. And your giftings and your abilities and who you are was so that you could be a part. God has arranged it. God has brought this. And negatively, this goes right against the individualistic culture of the Corinthians in our day and age. We don't want to get arranged by God. We want to do it ourselves. We want to sort it out ourselves. Most of you are university students. And most of you with your students will have different faculties. And some faculties, some faculties in Cyprus run like a Swiss-made clock. And I'm sure yours is like that. I'm sure your faculty works beautifully and smoothly and just go tick, 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 tick. And everything is great. But there are others, faculties, that are more like a 1970s Soviet, never-been-suffered generator spluttering on cheap fuel. It just doesn't work. It just hasn't got it together. And and the only difference between these two faculties is the faculty head. A faculty head who is on point, who knows what they're doing, makes it work. And and, and the other faculty head who is is dreaming more about other stuff or thinking about everything else or his own business and he's not there, it all goes wrong. And, And what we have to realize here is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth, it is his church and he has arranged us. And how dare you think that you can do any better? The fact of the matter is we look at our church and it's running like an ex-Soviet, never-been-serviced generator spluttering on cheap fuel and we're quite proud that we get a little light flickering. And it's a mess. And it's wrong. 
Because what we need is the Holy Spirit to work in us. And what we've got is God arranging us. So we need to, need to take a step back and get over ourselves and say, it's not about us. It's about God. And it's about His glory. And what is more positive than God Himself arranging us as His church? The, the, the original thought, the original word here is to, to put, to place, to lay. God has put you here. God has saved you for a purpose. He's brought you into this kingdom. He's brought you into his kingdom. And he's brought you into this nation and this time because he has a plan and a purpose for you because God chooses us. We need one another because we are one body with many parts. We need each other because God arranges this way. And we need each other because God chose us. There's been lots of talk about football, the, the, the World Cup, the ladies' World Cup football. And a team is chosen, isn't it? A team is chosen by the manager. And the manager chooses the team. And the players have to play with each other because the manager is chosen. The players can't go, well, we don't like that one, get rid of them. They, they haven't got that right. And, and we, brothers and sisters, haven't got that right. We are chosen by God. We didn't choose God, God chose us. And this choosing works on two levels, as we've seen before. There's, there's a, a level, if you like, of uh, uh, same as the callings that we looked at in chapter 7, 17 to 14, or 17 to 24. And, and the word calling there is very similar to this word choose that is here. And we thought of a, a vertical call, which is salvation. God calls us and saves us. And there's a horizontal calling, like the work that we do in this world, the part we have to play on this earth, the church that we're in. And God chooses us. God chooses to save us, and God has a plan and a purpose that he's chosen for us to do in this world. Now, yes, absolutely, as we live our day-by-day -day life, we make decisions, and we do. And we, in our decision-making, have to live or die by our mistakes that we make, or the good decisions that we make. And there is an individual responsibility but outside our individual responsibility, God chooses and God is in control. And as we look at ourselves as a church, we don't get to choose the other members of the church. God has done this. We don't get to choose our part in the body. You don't say, I'm this, I'm that. No, God has chosen that. You don't get to choose your gifts. God has done this. And we need each other because God has called us. God has saved us to be his church. We need each other because God has called us to be an individual part of that church. God has a role, a job, and a responsibility, and a gifting for each of you. And it's for the church. And you are called, and you are to be a part of it. So practically, quickly, I want to wrap this up with what does it look like? What does it practically look like? And, and the headline is this, as a believer, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, you need to be part of a local church. This was written to the church at Corinth. They were part of a local church. They were a part of it, and they knew that was important. And if you are here on the island and you're looking for a church, you need to get that sorted soon. You need to be part of a local church. But being part of a local church is just a start of it. You see, we see from this passage that we shouldn't wish or try to be something we're not. Verses 7 to 15 have this, uh, sorry, 15 to 17 have this little conversation going on between the hand and the feet and what they are and what they're not. And 
you don't get jealous of other people's gifts or abilities. You don't strive to be something that you are not. That's where things go wrong. What we need to do is we need to value who we are in Christ. Verses 18 and 19 show us that he has gifted us. He's gifted us with different things. This is our value in Christ. We've been saved. We are part of the family. We've been brought into the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit has gifted us. And there's something amazing about our distinctiveness. The, the whole of your personal being is wonderful. It's amazing. Our different characteristics, our different abilities, our different weaknesses. It's all who we are. And there's a wonderful uniqueness in our calling. God has called us. God has gifted us. There's a a special individuality in our spiritual gifts. The gift that I have is different to the gift that you have. It's different to the gift that he or she has. Now God has made us. God has chosen us. God has called us. But this isn't for our own personal benefit. Yes, we are unique. But we're not to be individualistic in our uniqueness. We are to be part of this body that God has brought together. God's glory is seen in the unity of the body. When there is love for the brethren, the world looks on and says, how does that happen? How are there people from different tribes here sitting next to each other when normally they'll be fighting? How are there different nationalities here that normally wouldn't get on getting on? How are there people here with academic degrees beyond degrees and others who haven't managed to wake up in a school yet? It's because we are one in Christ. We've been called. We've been chosen. We've been made, not for our own benefit, but for God's glory. And, And before the Corinthians could explore their spiritual gifts properly, they had to see their place in the church. And before we move on with the spiritual gifts here, we have to see our place within the church. Because spiritual gifts were given for the benefit of the church, not for individualism, not for running off on your own, not for doing anything. You see, this is who we are in Christ. I I was going to say that Christ church is a synergetic entity. Then I thought I'd better look up the word synergy to make sure they got that right. And the word means the combined power of a group of things when they're working together is greater than the total power achieved by each working separately. That's not the church. That's not the church. It's not our combined power. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit working in each of us as we combine together in the power of the Holy Spirit that makes the body and the church of Christ work. And how does it work? Well, we don't despise other parts of the body. We don't despise other parts of the body because we don't understand them. We don't despise other parts of the body because we don't like them. We don't despise other parts of the body because they've got gifts that we don't understand. We are not to despise the other parts of the body. What we are to do is we do something positive. We are to look out for one another. We're to look out for one another in our differences. Paul uses that illustration. We need to care and look out for our body parts. 
He uses the illustration of clothing bits that are immodest and taking care of them. And, and I'm sure that we ourselves and our own bodies, we probably eat healthily to care for our insides. We brush our teeth to look after our oral hygiene. We exercise to stay fit. We clothe ourselves to stay modest. And, and in the church, there are lots of different people. And, and sometimes these differences are, are weaknesses in our eyes. But they're not in God's eyes. And we need to take care of one another. And rather than our differences cause us to separate, our differences should draw us closer together. And, and it says in verse 25 that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. Brothers and sisters, you care for each other. This is where it practically meets the road. You see, spiritual gifts are useless if you're not caring for one another. And Paul is so emphatic about that, he goes on to chapter 13 to teach us about love. Because that's essential to the gifts of the Spirit, is that they are built on love and caring for one another, because it's about the church. And the church is about being united together. Let there be no division in the body. Maybe we're not seeing manifestation of spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit in LPC because we're not caring for one another like we should be. Because we're not esteeming each other higher than ourselves. Because we haven't got this right. You see, this approach brings unity. This approach brings care for one another. And we're to look out for each other in our sufferings. Verse 26, the first part. If one member suffers, all suffer together. The individualistic approach is, oh dear, let them go. Yes. Or the evolutionary approach is survival of the fittest. We will march on, we will leave them to die by the side. No! When our member suffers, we suffer with them. We lament with Ambless and her father's situation. We, we cry out that God will help Alice and her family in their bereavement. We've cried with each other. We're shared with each other. And that's what it's about. As a church, as one member suffers, we all should suffer together because we should be caring for one another. And at the same time, Paul reminds us that when one person is honoured, we all rejoice together. When someone gets their publication published, we rejoice with them. When someone graduates, we rejoice with them. When someone gets married, we praise God with them. When children are born, we rejoice together. That's part of the family. And these things come before the gifts of the Spirit. And we need to get this right. And Paul put it right here. Because the Corinthians couldn't go on with the rest of the gifts of the Spirit until they understood that. And let's pray that the Lord teaches us so that we can understand this. So that we can go on. So that the gifts of the Spirit, as they become more real and more open to us, may be used to the glory of God and to the benefit of the church and for his kingdom to come. Amen.